Hi everyone, welcome to Hubshots episode 186. In this episode, we chat about using behavioral targeting on HubSpot pop-up forms, plus we ponder whether you should show ads to existing customers. You're listening to Asia Pacific's number one HubSpot-focused podcast, where we discuss HubSpot tips, tricks, strategies, and features for growing your sales marketing results. My name is Ian Jacob from Surgery Be Found, and with me is Craig Belly from Zen Systems. How are you, Craig? Really good, and welcome to 2020. What's interesting about this is we were working out schedule for the shows. We're recording this on the 11th of December, but due to, I don't know, I'm going to say how organized we are, but actually it's how badly organized we are. <laughs> this show won't appear till probably the 10th of January, you're hearing this. And we were realizing that this means the show you heard last week probably had us wishing you a Merry Christmas, <laughs> even though it was 2020. So sorry, folks, but yeah. This is our 2020 Welcome Back episode, um, also known as the Two Turkeys podcast. That's right. We thought we'd rebrand for 2020, hey, Craig? Yes, and folks, that's a reference to episode 181. When you made an offhand comment about <laughs> Two Turkeys, that's us, <laughs> making a comment about the product. I don't know if that translates in Australia. Turkey is a kind of like, ah, oh, check out that turkey. It's like that's a bit, right. of a bit of a fool, but I don't know if that translates. Not quite to our US listeners, right? Yeah. Anyway, the Two Turkeys podcast, that's us. So, Craig, uh, what have we got planned for 2020? What's interesting, it's always that uh, start of the year is the time to think about, well, what have we got planned marketing? And I am actually interested in listeners. I'd love to get some feedback from listeners, what you're actually doing. I know everyone tries to be planning for the year in the previous year. So, if you were really organized, you would have had your 2020 plans all done, all the strategy in place already. But look, let's be realistic. For most people, it's not. They're coming back after a break and they're getting into it. And I think this is a good time just to reflect, think about what you're doing uh, and also look at how, well, not to be too blatant about it, but how you can be using HubSpot better to accelerate and automate your marketing implementation. Correct. And you know what's really great to start off with is to have a HubSpot portal review, Craig. Bit of a HubSpot health check. That's right. A HubSpot health check. Help you with that. Yeah. So check check out the link in the show notes. And also an annual marketing review. This is something we do for clients. We've been doing that too. So that's a really good one. And you know what's really good? Having a one-page marketing plan that everyone looks at. And if you just keep it front and center, I think it's a great way to realign the team and make sure that you're on track and, you know, make sure you're using campaigns within HubSpot because that'll keep you on track and you can attribute it revenue back to some marketing goals, Craig. So, Craig, talking about a marketing feature of the week. So, I'm going to talk about behavioral targeting in pop-up forms again because we talked about this last the episode. previous episode. And sorry, listeners, again, that you're hearing this in January because this feature came out, I think, at the end of November, actually. Correct. It was so, in the December update. Right. So by yes. the time you're hearing this, you're going, why are they talking about this new feature, behavioral targeting? Well, it's because we recorded this show four weeks ago when it was new. So hopefully you're using it already. But if you haven't, here's a quick recap of what it is. It's part of the targeting on pop-up forms to show to dictate where they show. So previously you could say, oh, this URL maybe some UTM parameters. Now, and it's called behavioral targeting, you can target it based on things that they've done on your site. They could have visited pages as we know, but they could be part of a list. And this is the most obvious one. Are they already part of a list? Are they a customer, a lifecycle stage, all these kinds of things. And so I want to remind listeners that this is probably one of the simplest and yet most effective things that you can get in place on your HubSpot forms on your site. Now, Craig, what is some action items people can take away? All right. So here's a quick 
suggestion for how you prioritize this. You go to your forms listing. You just choose pop-up forms. You order by the number of views that those pop-up forms uh, have got over the, say, all time. Could be the last month, but I would just say all time. And I've got a, a screenshot in the show notes for this. And then you pick off the ones that have the lowest submission rate. So what you're identifying is pop-up forms that show a lot, but yet not many people fill them out. And I'm going to have a guess that for many people, the newsletter and blog subscribe forms are in this category because people have already signed up for them. So that why show them again and again? Well, you don't have to anymore. You can actually go into the behavioral targeting and exclude it from showing to people who have already filled out that form. So start with those. And the whole goal is you want to improve the submission rates of your pop-up forms. Now, Craig, people would often ask me, what is a good submission rate, Craig? Well, it depends. However, I'm always looking for something more than 2%. And I think in the screenshot, we've even got some over 20% pop-up forms. And I know we've got higher than that on, I probably should have, you know what, I should have selected. I should have selectively um, sorted it by a submission rate because I know we have some that are more higher, but um, they're very specific. So typically if you've got a general site-wide thing, it's not going to have a high submission rate, but I think they'll get better now. Even site-wide, because once people have filled them out, it'll cut down those views and the submission rate percentage will look much better. But yeah, typically 2% at least is what you're going for. So Craig, is, that, is one of the tips is if someone has filled out that form, should we be adding them to a list to never show that form pop-up form again? That's exactly right. You can create an active list based on which pop-up form they've filled out. So you just target that, create a specific list, and then in that form, exclude, exclude. that. So it's very clear. And as we said last episode, you can then start kind of creating chains or funnels of pop-up forms. So as soon as they've filled out this pop-up form, don't show it anymore. Show the next one only to people who have filled out that previous form. All right, Craig, sales tip of the week. Own your suboptimal process. Isn't suboptimal such a great word? It is. So if you receive client feedback about issues with your process, you need to own it, respond to it quickly and improve it. Now, I've had an experience of this lately, but you've had an experience of it as well. So tell me about your experience where you got a suboptimal, you were part of a suboptimal process and how it was resolved. You know, I love cars. And this is my last time I was buying a a Mazda CX-9 for my wife. And so very excitedly, you know, went in, spoke to different people, did the deal. And so I I dealt with this dealership many times over. I had a great sales guy named Darren got the car and we were taking the car and we were going on a trip. We were going on a trip to Melbourne actually, uh, I think for a wedding. So we were, we were really so excited. Just, just to explain, so you live in Sydney, Sydney to Melbourne's at what, a 10 hour drive? Yeah, about eight hour. Actually, oh, no. actually depending which car you're driving. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. right. I think it's about eight hours, Craig, if you go straight through, because the roads have become so much better now. It used to be 10 hours. So we were really excited. Here we are, kind of like probably... That was probably the first new car we've probably bought since we've been married. Oh, and by the way, happy anniversary for you this oh, week. Yeah, thank congratulations. You. <laughs> and so we're really excited. Anyway, going on the trip, got all the whole, you know, sat nav and everything. Anyway, this the sat nav screen or the in cars now you've got this centralized screen. This screen keeps cutting out, right? So like we've got the sat nav on, really excited. First car we've had with sat nav and all of these exciting things that show up on this really nice screen in the middle. Anyway, it keeps cutting out. I'm like, oh, this is not, this is a very suboptimal experience. Anyway, take a picture, send it to the guy. 
he's like, okay, we're well, cool. We'll get it sorted out. Come back, return back from Melbourne, send the car in. Anyway, they can't find the problem. I'm like, okay, this is not very good because this keeps happening. So anyway, I'm like, there's got to be a problem. Like this is happening to me all the time. Like you can't tell me that just because you plug your computer and it says there's nothing wrong. It's not, it's not, it's not working. Anyway, at this point I'm getting really angry, right? Because they're like, there's no problem with the screen. We can't do anything. You know, we can't replicate this problem. So anyway, I had to leave the car with them now and now I'm getting really angry. So I actually now look up the general manager of the dealership and I'm like, I want my money back or I need to want another car essentially. You know, this is just not, this experience is turning from bad to worse. Anyway, get on. I know the service manager, get on really well with him. So I said, look, I think there is a problem and I don't think it's software related. It's actually probably hardware related. Anyway, this is after I'd sent the general manager an email and then he got the sales guy to respond. So he didn't respond, but I'm now trying to have a conversation with him. Gets escalated, service manager who who I happen to know, who'd been there for years, like 10 years. Anyway, he goes, okay, well, I'm going to take a screen out of another car and put it into your car to test it out to make sure. Anyway, that happens, problem fixed. Faulty screen, right? But they would not have found that if they didn't actually take it out of one car and put it into another Anyway, what I want to share this experience was all through this process, I've been trying to get to the the man at the top to say, hey, there's a problem here and everyone's just fobbing me off and I just want I just want to get it fixed. Like I like the car, I like you guys. I just want my I just want my car to work the way what I paid for. Anyway, not once did he respond. And I was thinking to myself, is it really that hard? Are you really at so far up this food chain that you can't respond to me? Like anyway, thankfully you know, great service manager, great sales guy who is still there today. And every time I go in, I say, I go and say hi to them. So that fixed. But you know why I wanted to highlight this is because you've had an experience and somebody at the top of the food chain actually took the time to respond to you, which made me believe that no matter who you are, if you care about the one, you will respond. I think that's really important. And that anecdote is that's a real life experience where they've done a lot of work upfront to sell to you. Never mind, I don't know how many millions they spend on advertising, et cetera, every year. Get you in, do the sales process, get you buy the car, and then you're really disappointed. And then it's so much pain to just get something little fixed. Yes. So the process is suboptimal. It's broken down. But yeah, so your point is, though, that I think that if you couldn't have contacted the right person to get it fixed, it still would have been broken. You would have been an unhappy customer. You, you do like cars. You talk with cars with all your friends. You're an influence to friends. You know, we all know that peer kind of recommendation. You would be bagging them out, but now you're actually a bit of a fan because luckily you got to the right person. Correct. But it was hard. It was hard. And so tying this back to the sales tip of the week, you're really actually just highlighting that you've got to be responsive when people have feedback for you, good and bad. Correct. And respond quickly to it and fix the issue because you've put in so much work up front to get the sale and then to destroy it all with actually suboptimal processes at the end. And yeah, my experience, I won't say who, but it's the CEO of a billion dollar company mm-hmm. who I contacted via email and they responded to me six minutes later. Correct. I had, I was so impressed. It took all, what will I say? It took all the heat out of my anger at, yes. at this. And so I, that in some ways has just solved it. But if they just fobbed it off and didn't respond and things like that. That's right. No, it isn't resolved, right? But at least you know. It's not resolved, but I felt hurt and I know it's being actioned by the CEO of a billion dollar company. I'm just like, wow, this is impressive. This is how it should be done. 
you know what I think? It's not beyond any one of us, no matter what your position or place, to actually understand and hear out people. Yeah, and I'll just say, in case that CEO is listening to the podcast, you can tie it back to this date, 11th of December. Thank you, if you're listening. All right, Craig, HubSpot Extra of the Week, content partitioning. Now, this was something that I'd actually, to be honest, I don't know whether a lot of people are using this. It's something that was brought into enterprise, people that manage multiple brands and want partitioning between teams, etc. So it used to be on uh, content and contacts, and now this is rolling across right across the board. Look, it's eventually getting to everything. The reason I've put it in, in HubSpot Extra is because we are getting increasing requests for this from clients and not necessarily huge clients. Uh, we've got a client that they're on enterprise, uh, but they've got a few different teams and they just want to lock it down. They just want to be more careful, I think, in terms of who has access to what, contacts, different pieces of content, assets, workflows, emails, etc. They're just getting smarter about it and putting systems in place. So we're getting more questions about it. And I think it's good to see HubSpot actually rolling this out. I mean, it's still not across everything, but mm. it's almost there. Yeah. And the comments I'm making about this, I think is for marketing managers to be looking at this. We'll be actually be putting a lot more, I think, thought into this for our clients, especially our enterprise clients. It'll actually end up being something in our HubSpot um, health check uh, service yes. as well making sure content partitioning is understood and implemented where appropriate. Here's what I'll say about content partitioning. It's still a bit difficult to understand the setup. Oh, I've got to go to users in settings and then set teams. And then what do I put them as a child team? And that how does that work? Yes. And how does that flow up? You get your head around it uh, eventually, but it's not that intuitive. And the other side of it is actually assigning partitions or users yes. to teams. I, I think it's... And in fact, this is a general user interface comment. You know, when you have to hover over things to see a more button to go, oh, that's where I can do it. Yep. Or in some cases, you actually have to tick next to an asset. Yes. Screenshot in the show notes of emails. You've actually got to tick an email if you want to move it to another folder. So some things are just not obvious. Uh, and so one of the things you've got to do in HubSpot is often just tick things to see if it shows any other option you can do. Those things aside, I think this is uh, something good. that's going to become bigger and better. The thing for people to remember is they go, oh, how do I partition this content? You've got to remember it's actually about assigning it to users. So the approach you've got to think about is, oh, I've got to assign this to users as opposed to I'm partitioning this content into something else. Because you would naturally think, oh, I'm putting this, I'm partitioning this content. No, you're actually assigning it to users. And the final thing to remember is, you are locking down rather than opening up. Correct. So if you come from a security background, you're kind yep. of like everyone has access to nothing initially That's and you right. open it up Correct. by giving them permissions. Yes. With content permissioning, to date, everything's open to everyone and you actually have to go through locking That's things right. down. So for clients, we often have to kind of say, oh, okay, well, we've actually got to go through everything and lock it down for you. So right. anyway, that's the approach. I think there'll be a lot more of that. That's right. Year. And so we're not talking just to users, but users and teams, right? Well, to teams, basically. Exactly. Yeah. So I think this is interesting because you will find that, and I, we've been doing this with some of our customers, is that if you've got distributed teams, like example, you have a national sales team, and for example, businesses that they deal with are national, but have local contacts, but their companies held in a, in let's say a global space proves a really interesting uh, dynamic because people would say maybe have this contact that's assigned to this team, 
But then they go, oh no, it actually belongs to somebody in another team. Once they assign it off, they won't be able to see it. You know what I mean? Yeah, this is exactly right. So you get these scenarios. So what, what I wanted to highlight to people is that, yes, it's great doing all of this stuff and you've got to really understand how it all works. And you've also got to understand how that's going to affect usability on the user end in terms of the data and the assets they have access to and how they operate within that business. So having Understanding how the people in the business operate can make a massive difference. This is true. And this is a few other things. What you're highlighting is you've actually got to plan it out. Because, you know, another thing, you can't really tell what, uh, if you go through to an asset, say you, you tick it and you go, oh, okay, that one, I'll assign it to a team. Oh, I wonder where it's assigned currently. Correct. It's actually not clear because you open the pop-up, all you've got is the option to assign it to something else. That's exactly right. And then it overrides <laughs> what previously, you're like, I don't know what I've changed. I've got this new plan. I'll just tick that, I guess. So, yeah, I think, what would I call it? It's, it's usable, but it's early stage. It's not fully formed. All right, Craig, on to HubSpot Gotcha of the Week. Just a quick one. I had this from a client where they've got non-HubSpot forms being tracked. So this goes back to, remember they used to call them collected forms because Collect. you tick it on in settings, collected That's right. forms. Previously, and we covered this in a show I think a year or two ago, previously you could turn off tracking on specific collected forms. Yes, correct. But around the time they changed the name to non-HubSpot forms, they took that away. So the question that I got from our client was, oh, can I turn off tracking of one particular form? And yes. in their case... They've got WordPress and the login page. Which always triggers. Is yep. a form and it's getting tri- collected as a non-HubSpot form. They go, oh, I just want to turn those off. We don't want them coming as contacts in. Yes. And I'm like, well, unfortunately, well, they're using the HubSpot plugin on Correct. WordPress. So it just defaults to put That's it. right. The only workaround is, well, instead don't of having use. the WordPress plugin, use Google Tag Manager, insert it and on the trigger, do an exclusion on certain pages by which time their eyes were glazing over. And, you know, that wasn't an option. So, look, it's a bit of a gotcha. If it really is problematic for you, chat to us and we'll talk to you about Google Tag Manager being used. All right, Craig, on to our marketing tip of the week. And this is to do with Google My Business and the really the importance of it. So even in 2020, I think this is going to be really, really important. Look, the window on this is closing out, folks. Google My Business is still free. I, I can't believe it. They're, they're going to charge for it surely soon. But it's the only free thing left on Google that small and big businesses are kind of exactly equally able to do. If you're a small business trying to rank well for, for terms, good luck versus big brands. And if you don't have the budget to advertise, you know, see you later. But Google My Business, your listing is there. You can be a small business and still feature prominently in Google My Business through a, f- a few quick optimizations. So we've got a link to an article which just gives some tips. We've, how many times have we mentioned this on the show? Folks, just get your Google My Business profiles up to date and keep them updated. It, at some point, this opportunity is going to close down. Right. So I wanted to highlight some of the things. This is a really good article. It says how to level up from a you know, Google My Business apprentice to being a Google My Business master. One of the things it said is just really being on top of it, like looking at it, updating it daily. I was like, oh, Okay. And you know what? That's the reality. Like if you're in a business and especially one that's uh, got a physical location, it's a really good way to get in front of people from putting up posts, putting up specials, making sure your time's updated as we go into the new year and there are holidays coming up. You know, what are those holidays? How does it affect your, because there's nothing worse. And this has happened to me looking to like you're on a weekend or a public holiday, you're looking to go somewhere to have a coffee or have you know, take the family out for something. 
and then you it says oh yeah it's open you get there and it's closed you're like you're really peeved you know what i mean so just think about that if you're closed mark yourself as closed and uh, and make sure that's happened and make sure it's updated across not just your local listing but even on your website like have a note on there you could even implement a, a pop-up form saying that you're actually closed on this particular day and you'll be back on this other day etc so there are things that you can do really easily to make sure people don't get peeved off yeah that's good and as for the daily updates i don't know if we do things daily but we definitely do it weekly for clients in marketing we often talk about uh five dollar tasks fifty dollar tasks and five hundred dollar tasks now as an agency senior person i should be doing five hundred dollar tasks yes so i shouldn't be doing small five dollar tasks Updating Google My Business is a $5 task. You know why? You can just, it's a simple process. You get the most junior person on your team to do it. And why am I mentioning $5 tasks? Because with a $5 task, the ROI on this is incredible. We do, I think we do this for just about every client. We just, it's standard ticker box. Every client, we update their Google My Business profiles for them weekly, right? Because the impact is so, the return on on that $5 task investment is so strong. So folks, please just, even for your SEO great process. <laughs> All right. I think I think we'll do another episode just about that later on this year. We could yeah, you're right. We could do a whole Google My Business episode. Um, you know what? I'd love the HubSpot social tool to include support for Google My Business posting. Yes. It doesn't. Should. Some of the other social tools do. That's right. All right, Craig, on to our inside of the week. Should you stop showing ads to customers? I was uh, on Twitter the other day and saw someone complaining. They're a MailChimp power user and they were complaining that they were getting advertising from MailChimp, kind of complaining about it. They go, oh, surely MailChimp knows I'm a customer. I have eight different accounts with them. Why are they showing me ads, right? As if how stupid MailChimp are. And I thought about it. I was thinking, well, actually, there could be a lesson here. Maybe they're totally MailChimp's just blast, set and forget and they're not doing it right. Uh, and so the first comment is to marketing managers listening to this, just be mindful of this kind of stuff. Should you be identifying customers and excluding them from mail? Cause it's uh, not from mail, from marketing and from advertising because it could be wasteful and it could be pissing them off as in this case. But then I was thinking further, I was like, well, two things. One is I think MailChimp's pretty smart. I actually wonder if they've done a test and measure. They know who customers are. They've probably segmented them out and they've perhaps looked at if we advertise to customers does that improve retention or make them use more features or they create more accounts? They might have. They might not. You're I don't quite know, right. But they might. Yeah. So the second takeaway is, well, test and measure, folks, because just because they're a customer, it might actually be worth advertising to them. Quite often brand reinforcement and there's a kind of brand affinity and loyalty. Oh, they advertise. And perhaps you're actually showing new features. Exactly. In the advertising, which you might not have realized. And then the other thing I was thinking, this person was pretty savvy. So they know about tracking and getting targeted and all that. Yes. And I'm like, I bet that person's like me and has an ad blocker and blocks half the <laughs> tracking pixels. So even if they wanted to, right. Mailchimp couldn't exclude them. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know the what the you know I don't know what the answer is in this case. But just a few thoughts there around. I think the takeaway is have a strategy or an assumption, test and measure. I couldn't agree more, Craig. And I'll I'll say I've been doing something similar for another customer of ours recently where. They have specials that they sell to dealers and to end users. And because a lot of the people that they they sell to are in government or bigger businesses, et cetera, 
email deliverability isn't that great when it comes out of email marketing. So we kind of use the strategy of doing the email marketing, but also targeting people on Facebook and on Google with that saying that there is a special and they should check it out and being customers because sometimes they might not actually see it in their emails. <laughs> that was the strategy behind that. That's a really good strategy. Just sort of another one is, well, especially in the mail space, like yes. MailChimp, there's so many providers at that space, they're probably getting targeted by competitors. Exactly. So you might as well keep your brand in front of them as well. So okay. people churn between platforms pretty quick. They're pretty quick to jump ship. So maybe just keeping your brand in front of them, even if they are a customer, at least retains them. All right, Craig, throwback of the week. I think it's fun to look back 12 months ago and see what HubSpot was promoting as new. And you know what they were promoting as new 12 months ago? The content strategy tool. What is this content strategy tool that you talk of? <laughs> it's now called the SEO tool. That's right. And you know what? I actually wonder what the usage of that tool is, to be honest, 12 months on, because I know for a fact I've been working with customers to try and implement that. And it's been hard work. You know what? It is a good tool. We've been using it with a client recently. It's actually quite good, but it's not compelling. And it's hard to set up and we had to explain it to them. And then we we're showing them, they're like, what's all this branching and what's going on? And how do I report on it? And of course, we integrated Google Search Console to pull yes. in data and they're like, oh, it's not showing. Oh, okay. We've got to put it in specific columns. Yep. There's something, well, not intuitive about it, the yes. SEO tool, and it needs training. It needs, it you does. need to guide people through. It definitely needs training and it does need people to guide you through it. I think, yeah, you're right. It does need guidance. People need to be on the same page. Now, Craig, the reason for the week is something to do with exploding topics. I think Brian Dean from Backlink, I might have created this site. I just it, saw this. I was like, this this is really nicely done. Yeah. And keep in mind, folks, this is, we're recording this in December. It just came out a week or two ago. It's probably old news by the time you listen to this. But it's just a, what will we call it? A, a window into Google Trends where he's just pulled out some, well, he calls some exploding topics. Yeah. Google Trends, trends that are taking off and you Correct. can see how they fit. Worth a worth a view. Definitely worth a look. All right, Craig, the quote of the week. You've got a good one here. Your success and happiness lies in you. Resolve to keep happy and your joy and you shall form an invincible host against difficulties. And that's from Helen Keller. Now, Craig, you've got a bonus as well. The quote is test and measure. And that's from Two Turkeys. Well, users, I hope you've had a, well, I hope you've had a good holiday. And you've enjoyed listening to Hub Shots. We'd love you to leave us a review. I'd love you to, if you could share it with somebody on your team. That would be fantastic. And by all means, please, you know, fill out a contact form, message us via Instagram or LinkedIn, however. However you want to get in touch with us. We love hearing from you guys. And we hope here's to a great 2020. Until later, Craig. Catch you later, Ian. Thank you for listening to this episode of HubShots. For show notes, resources, HubSpot news, including practical strategies you can implement, visit us at hubshots.com.